You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. Yeah, this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the goodness of God in um, each and every one of us. As you work in our lives, you do change us, and we're grateful for that. Uh, We pray this morning as we look at Scripture that um, we might find comfort, we might find conviction, we might find truth, and we might find some transformation uh, for us to, to, to change even more uh, for, your good, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, um, the first 11 chapters really um, kind of uh, show some highlights of Jesus' life for 33 years. And then closing out, starting in John chapter 12 all the way to chapter 21, the gospel writer John is only going to show us the last week of Jesus' life. So it's like from here on out in the gospel of John, it's slow-mo. I mean, we're going, like, it's going really slow. Again, first 11 chapters is the highlights of Jesus' life. Uh, all the way for 33 years, and then chapter 12 through 21, it's the last week. It's called the Passion Week. Um, So our storyline picks up six days before Jesus is going to be crucified. Um, When Jesus was crucified, that was actually the Passover festival. That's when believers were celebrating their exodus out of Egypt. They would uh, told to take, a, a, this is a hundreds and hundreds of years before the time of Christ, but believers were still doing this a ritual, this ceremony, this act of worship to remember that God had saved them from the angel of death that flew over Egypt and if they had blood over their doorpost, the angel of death would pass over and would not uh, harm them. Um, Jesus dies on the Passover. The the scene that we're going to pick up in today, John chapter 12, it's six days before Good Friday, the Passover. Uh, So it's Saturday. It's a Sabbath. Um, And they're going to have a Sabbath meal together. And so let's pick up verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. What was he coming to Bethany for? It was right outside of Jerusalem. Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. This was a big deal, very big festival. But he stops off in Bethany. And who lives in Bethany? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Yeah, his favorite friends. And Lazarus is alive. Remember, he had a, he's had a busy week, though. He was dead, now he's alive. Imagine that. He's alive where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. In verse 2, so they gave a dinner for him there. And Martha, remember the name Martha. Oh, Martha, Martha, Martha. If you're named Martha, you've probably heard that a lot, especially if you're been in church a while. Look what Martha, we find Martha, what's she doing? She's serving. She's always serving. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining uh, with him at the table. 
my guess is there was probably 17 people or more crammed inside of this home. I'll just walk through some of the characters that you're going to see and I've already mentioned. But there's Mary. Uh, she's there. She's, there's Martha. There's Lazarus. Um, there's obviously Jesus. But his disciples were also with them. So that's the 12 disciples. And then there's this other guy, I think, that is there. And his name would be Simon. Um, he's referred to as Simon the leper. Um, because in the other gospel accounts, it does show this in Matthew 26, uh, 6 through 12, and Mark uh, 14, 3 through 9. It captures this event, this dinner, this special supper club with Jesus, uh, this gathering, and Simon the leper is mentioned. So imagine that. Um, Simon the leper really should be called the ex-leper because nobody's going to have a dinner with a leper, right? I mean, that would just be bad. That'd be like having a COVID party, you know, but far worse. And uh, so Simon the leper is there, ex-leper, and then they're probably telling stories. I mean, imagine the leper, like, man, so here's what happened to me, disciples. Here's what happened to me, guys. Jesus met me, he found me, and I was outcast. I was unwanted, unloved. I've been unfaithful. Jesus found me, he healed me. I remember when my dead fingers that had been rotted off, all of a sudden a creation miracle took place and I got my digits back and I could feel and then it came through my arms and then it came through my body and then it came through my legs and I could start running around. And that's Simon. And then Lazarus was like, yeah, well, I was dead, but now I'm alive. Uh, and the Bible said he stinketh. He'd been in there a while. So imagine this dinner party, and then you've got Jesus. Oh, do you remember, Jesus, when you performed those miracles, and we didn't have any food, and we didn't have nothing, and you took our food, and you multiplied it, and then you told us to pass it out, and we fed thousands. This is six days before he goes to the cross. And he spends time with his friends. He spends time with the ones he loves. And John captures that for us, and so does the Gospel of Matthew, and so does Mark. And let's see who else is here. Oh, there's Mary, verse 3. Mary, therefore... She took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with this fragrance of the perfume. Verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples he was about to, who was about to betray him, said, why, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. 
And so the chief priests, they made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is a dinner party. It's a supper club with Jesus. It's celebration. It's testimony time. Lazarus is sharing about his experience. Simon, the leper, the ex-leper, is telling about his experience. Martha's busy serving. Mary, she's busy worshiping. The rest of the disciples are taking it all in. This is six days before the cross. Jesus is fully aware of exactly what's going to happen. This is six days before he'll be arrested. It's six days before he'll be falsely tried and charged. Six days before he'll be beaten and mocked. It's six days before he'll be whipped and flogged. Six days before the, thorn, the, thorn, the thorns formed as a crown on his head. Six days before he's going to be forced to carry that cross. Six days before the nails will be driven into his hands and his feet. Six days before the soldiers will cast lots for his garments. Six days before Jesus will give up his last breath and say those famous words, it is finished. The Passover lamb. John said it. John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus is here. And news gets out. He's here. They were hoping he would come to Passover in Jerusalem because Jesus was Jerusalem's most wanted. Uh, the disciples were a little afraid of the hostility that had arised. Crowds began to start to form. Many of them came in absolute just wanted to see the spectacular work of Jesus. They had heard all the stories. They wanted to see, perhaps peer in through the windows, to see Lazarus and Simon the leper. In some ways, they thought it could be like a freak show of Jesus and all his crazy disciples and all the things that he's done, they show up. There's five kinds of people we're going to look at this morning. Five kinds of people that we're going to meet on the road to Easter. Number one, we're going to meet the servant-hearted kind of people. And the greatest example of this is Martha. Martha is mentioned in that she gave a dinner for him there. Uh, Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Martha always served. She was constantly serving. In Luke chapter 10, uh, we find Martha busy serving constantly the Lord. In fact, if you've got a Bible, turn there for a moment. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 40. If you're unable to turn there, I will uh, read it aloud so that uh, you can just listen. But I want to show you how often Martha is serving. She's got the gift of service. Um, the love language of service, acts of service. Um, she loves to serve, and this is what she does. So many times in church history, we think of her as kind of missing it and just serving too much. I do want to show you, uh, this is a gift and there's strengths and weaknesses behind it, but she's the servant-hearted individual. Uh, Luke chapter 10 uh, verses starting in verse 38. 
Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She was excited about having Jesus over. And she had, she had her sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. There's nothing wrong with that. So Mary's the sister sitting there listening to Jesus' teaching. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me here to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. By the way, I've said that a couple times to my wife. It didn't go well. I say, Leslie, Leslie, you are anxious or troubled about many things. She's like, be quiet. Oh, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. I think sometimes in church history, we think of Martha and think, oh, she's bad. She's too anxious. She's too, uh, she's too uh, servant-oriented. And ser- Let me just remind you, um, in this word right here, back in the text, so they gave a dinner for him there, Martha served. Um, the Greek word comes from the root word of diakonos or diakonos, and it is to a servant. And servants are the greatest leaders in the church. Um, Jesus himself said, I came not to be served, but to what? Joshua said, as for me and my household, we shall what? Serve the Lord. She's a servant. She's serving. Some of you, your ministry here at the church and perhaps even in missions around the world is just serving. It's showing up and finding a need and just trying to meet that need. Serving is not maximizing your strengths. Serving can often be as like, you've got all these wonderful gifts, but you do something very kind and very lowly. Um, Jesus was a servant. He washed his disciples' feet. Um, Martha is the servant. We should learn a lot from her. Number two, the second kind of person we're going to see is the sacrificial giver. The sacrificial giver. And this one I want to spend a little more time on because I think it's so important. Uh, We're going to see this. Uh, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment. So Mary's the sacrificial giver. Uh, Therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Uh, This ointment would have come from most likely the Himalaya mountains. It would have been brought in a long journey and it was very, very expensive. It was used for burials uh, to show honor and respect. It was used for kings and queens. It was a very expensive perfume that would be used for uh, the wealthiest of people. And Mary had to have a lot of money. Um, we find out that it literally, this would cost thousands and thousands of dollars, uh, this uh, mount, and she brings a whole pound of it. Um, that's a lot. I mean, nobody carries around a pound just, uh, just for everyday travel. She knew Jesus was coming, and Mary is in love with Jesus. She's constantly uh, in love in a good way. 
in a passionate way for Jesus Christ, not in a romantic way, but she loved Christ. Do you love Jesus Christ? Could you identify with Mary as a sacrificial giver? She gives so much in this act. Um, when we were down in Mexico, there was a night and we were, I was asked to run a silent, or, or run an auction um, by the uh, president, Scott Schwarzentrooper, down there. I volunteered to help raise funds for a mission trip to go further south to send a group of their team further south into remote areas of Mexico to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. I said, man, that's awesome. Uh, how much do you need to raise? He said, $13,000. I said, man, that's a, that's a good chunk of money. Um, uh, what are you guys going to do to raise the money? He said, we're going to sell tortillas and bread. And I said, that's a lot of tortillas and bread. And I said, how about we do this? Our elder team's already pre-approved that we could make a gift towards the, um, the, the mission efforts uh, within Mexico and furthering out the gospel proclamation and service. Um, how about we give like $3,200 or so? He said, man, that'd be amazing. I said, how about we do this? How about we make like a matching gift or something like that? And I'll challenge everybody to do that. There's like a hundred people. There was a couple of other churches. One of our partner churches, Mission Grove, John Craigle was there and his team. Uh, so we had uh, some churches there. I said, I'll talk to the other pastors. We'll see if we can raise the money. I talked to the pastors. At first, they were like, I don't know. We've got a lot of other projects going on. You do what you want to do. I'll pray about it. I said, that's awesome. That's fine. Um, I told Scott, I said, man, my hope and heart would be is that we get you about halfway there, half, halfway of your $13,000. Maybe I could help, help you do that. And he said, okay. And so later that day, he said to me, he said, would you do an auction? And I said, what are we going to auction? And he said, a picture my, my daughter painted, and it's of a, a family in the first home that we built. I said, oh, that's wonderful. You want me to do the auction? He said, yeah. I said, oh, how about a silent auction? He goes, no, we want a live auction. Uh, Pastor Ryan is pretty good at preaching and teaching. Pastor Ryan is not a good auctioneer. I said, Scott, I don't know if I'm the guy for you, but I'll tell you what, I'll do it because I want to serve. I want to help. I'll do whatever you want. So I took the painting and then I prayed for a good little while. Um, somebody was preaching. It was like a preaching conference too, this mission trip. It was really special. And I went in the back room and I prayed and I said, Lord, I don't know how to do this as an auction. This is going to be awkward, but I'll just do my best. So I walk in and I, I really believe the Spirit of God just came right before me before I ever set foot up there. And then I just, I held up the picture and I said, this is the first home that they built. This is a picture. Um, there's 13 individuals, indigenous, Hispanics, Mexicans that want to go down and share and show the love of Jesus Christ. They need $13,000. I'm deciding out of my personal funds to give money to this. As a church, we're going to give a big chunk of this but I want to talk to you about raising, at least let's get to halfway, potentially. I don't know what happened. God was already at work ahead of time, and a young boy uh, in our church raised his hand, and he said, Pastor Ryan, I'll give $100. I mean, guys, that's a big deal for a young teenager. And then another teenager said, I'll, I'll give 150 that's sacrificial giving for these kids. You need to know that. A young 20-year-old girl, 20-something-year-old raised her hand and she said, I'll give $1,500. And I, and I paused for a moment and I just told the group, I said, can we just stop and thank 
the Lord for the generosity and the sacrificial spirit of giving in the heart of these young people. This isn't normal. And we did, and we prayed for them and thanked God for them. Um, within 24 hours, we raised about 12500 bucks. Isn't that awesome? There's a couple things I want to point out here about this sacrificial giving. That, that happened, I think, because you guys were generous first. Because I told Scott, I said, our church has a hope offering. And we don't keep it just to keep it. We keep it to use it for God's glory and the good of other people. So immediately I told them, we can do this. And then I said, I, I'll put money in too, above and beyond what we already give my personal funds to help this, and let's just see what happens. Um, because you gave to the hope offering, there was this sacrificial giving that had been going on. The hope offering is above and beyond your regular giving. It's an act of worship. What Mary does, she has incredible wealth. I believe she's a very wealthy woman. I believe Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were probably very well-to-do. They've got a big house, and they're giving away a, an, enor an enormous amount of financial resources. Let me show you. Um, the third kind of person we're going to see who's going to mock and ridicule this is the self-absorbed individual. It's Judas Iscariot. Let's look at verse 4 and 5. It says, uh, but Judas Iscariot, uh, one of his disciples, can you imagine that? It's a disciple. He, he who was about to betray him said, why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii? and given to the poor? Why are we doing this? This is a waste of stewardship. And if you look at the other gospel accounts, just by the way, in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, the other disciples chime in and they're like, yeah, that's a bad idea. Yeah, we think that's a bad idea. We shouldn't just, Mary's wasteful. Why, why didn't we give this to the poor? We could have had thousands of sandwiches to feed the poor. And Judas had an influence. But let me just pause for a moment and show you Judas's heart. Look at verse 6. It says, uh, the self-absorbed again. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. He's like, entrusted with financial stewardship, and he's a thief. He's the CFO, he's the accountant, and he's grabbing what he wants. That's why he didn't want that money to uh, be wasted on Jesus. There's kind of a, a, a comparison and a contrast. When you study the Bible, especially when you look at characters and people in the Scripture, it's always good to do comparison and contrast. Let me compare and contrast just for a moment. Uh, Mary versus Judas. And by the way, uh, does, has anybody ever named a child Judas? Raise your hand. A anybody got a kid named Mary? Anybody have family members named Mary? Yeah? Anybody got family name members named Judas? No. You do not want to go down as a Judas. I don't know a Judas. I've never met a Judas. I, I remember there was a rock band called Judas Priest, but that is a, no good. Um, Judas, um, the Bible says later, Satan himself will enter into him. So he does not go down in human history as, as a good man at all. He's a thief. He's a liar. He's a betrayer. 
Let me compare and contrast Mary versus Judas just for a moment. Mary is overt in her worship. She loves Jesus. She's going to spend time with Jesus. She gets down on her knees. She's at his feet. She wants to listen to what he has to say. Uh, she's always at the feet of Jesus. This is Mary. Um, she's very overt. Like She's like, I'm not going to serve right now. I'm going to spend time with Jesus. <laughs> no, sorry, Martha. <laughs> you do what you want to do. I'm with Jesus. Oh, by the way, I have this incredible amount of um, ointment that I was going to use. I'm not sure where I was going to use it. Maybe it was for me or maybe for one of my family members. Uh, it would have been a, about a year's salary. Oh, I want to use that for Jesus. I'm going to pour that on, the Bible says later in the gospel account of Matthew and Mark that she puts it on Jesus's head and then all comes down all his body. And then she takes her hair, which would have been a very um, humbling act, very humbling act. Uh, she takes her hair and it was inappropriate in many social customs and she's wiping Jesus's feet to dry them. My guess is there was so much ointment on Jesus that the whole house was filled with that fragrance. And the body would smell good, like, you know, like good for a very, very, very long time. I believe when perhaps just six days later when Jesus was on the cross, he could smell that ointment. He could remember how loved he was, how cherished he was. Um, compare and contrast Mary versus Judas. Mary is overt in her worship and love for Jesus Christ. Very public, very clear. Judas is covert. He's covert in his behavior. He's sneaky and sly. He acts like a disciple, but he's really like the devil. He is covert. And sin has a way of hiding itself. And if you're in an area of your life that you're in hiding you're operating covertly, you need to, the Bible says, come to the light. Leave the darkness, come to the light. If you're living a, a covert life, kind of a double standard life, you need to turn away from your sin and turn toward your Savior, repent, and be refreshed and renewed. Judas is covert. Mary is overt. Mary, she worships with her wealth. She worships Jesus Christ, she's very wealthy, and she worships Jesus with her wealth. She opens her home. She serves Jesus. She serves the disciples. And then she anoints Jesus with this ointment. That's worshiping with your wealth. Then you have Judas who worships his wealth. He's worshiping money. I want to take you to another passage, if you would, just for a moment. Um, turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. I want to show you the power of uh, finances if you worship your money. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 uh, through 22. It's the story of the rich young man. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. This man, I believe, worships his wealth. Verse 17, and uh, this is Jesus, and he was setting out on his journey, and a man ran up and knelt before him, and he asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Verse 20, the man said, he said to him, teacher, all these, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him. Look at this. He loved him and he said to him, you lack one thing. There's one thing you lack. You you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away. The man did. The rich man. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Some people, and it may be you, you love your stuff way too much. Judas uh, worshipped his wealth. All he could think about was having more and more. Mary worshipped with her wealth. She used what she had for the glory of God. God doesn't care. He, he, it doesn't, as a believer, you don't need to be focused uh, uh, if I'm rich, I'm godly, or if I'm poor, I'm ungodly. That's not how it works. The Bible says you're to honor the Lord with your wealth, whether you're rich or poor. Amen? No matter what you have, you honor the Lord with your wealth. Mary is a great example for a wealthy individual to worship the Lord. Judas is one who worships his wealth. Uh, this happens all throughout the scripture. The Bible says that uh, not that the, uh, the root of all evil is money, but it's the love of money. And so Judas is obsessed with wealth, and he will sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, his first words out of his mouth are ridiculing something about Mary, another, being hypercritical. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? His last words will be, I have committed a great sin. I'm, I shouldn't have done this in a sense, in paraphrase. Um, the self-absorbed. Let's look at Jesus' response. John 12, 7 through 8. Jesus said, leave her alone. Uh, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. It's six days before Jesus is going to the cross. Perhaps uh, Mary was uh, prophetically given insight into what was going to happen. The other disciples did not fully comprehend Jesus is going to die, um, but perhaps Mary did. This Mary is not one of the Marys that will be at the uh, tomb. There are many other Marys that are there. This one will not be. Um, She gave her gift early. Sometimes when you go to a funeral, you see flowers. Um, I think the idea here is for her is that she wanted to do her giving while Jesus was living. She wanted to do it right away. And she goes down in history. The other gospel accounts say that wherever the gospel is preached, Mary will be recognized as one who demonstrated much love. The fourth kind of person that we're going to see on this road to Easter, it's in verse 9. It is the superficial crowds. Let's look at this. Uh, Number four, the superficial crowds. Um, Number four, the superficial. 
Uh, when the large crowds of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom they had raised from the dead. What the Bible tells us about these crowds is that they were always a part of Jesus' ministry. And they acted like they loved him, but they really, they really didn't love him. They knew about him, but they didn't live for him. Um, these would be the crowds that accompanied him when Jesus performed the big miracles. These would have been the crowds that kind of came around from time to time to see what Jesus was, was doing. Um, these are the crowds, according to John chapter 12, verse 12, uh, this is the crowd that lines the street to Jerusalem and during Palm Sunday and lays down their palm branches, which became a ritual and a routine after uh, one of the great revolts of Maccabees in the kind of the Jewish tradition, when they were purifying the temple, they would take these palm leaves and lay them down as a reminder that a king is coming. And this crowd, when, when the Jesus shows up into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which by the way is next Sunday, which is by the way what I'm preaching on next Sunday, which by the way wasn't my strategic plan, it was God's providence, which is really cool. I got real excited about that. I'm like, holy smokes, am I on Palm Sunday, on Palm Sunday? And then I'm in my office and I'm like, I am, hallelujah, Lord. I'm like, who does that? God does that, that's right. So I was like, thank you, Lord, I needed that. They needed that. Um, so this crowd will be there on Palm Sunday and they're all saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're giving praise. But in John chapter 19, the crowd changes their, their verbiage and they say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Crowds are dangerous. Crowds follow fads. They just go wherever is popular. Don't do that if you're a Christian. Um, don't follow the crowds. You, you've seen the, the, uh, the t-shirt. We've talked about it before, but lions, not sheep. I think the idea behind that is, in a good sense, is don't follow the crowd. I, I told you as a believer in Jesus Christ, the, the, the best concept you could have is you're a shepherd and you help shepherd sheep. If you're a leader and you want to serve, but you're called to shepherd your home, shepherd other people, you're to do that. And Jesus is the chief shepherd. Amen? Be careful of the superficial crowds. These crowds, they learned that Jesus was there. They wanted to be there with him. Um, crowds can turn into mass hysteria. You can just see any concert or huge soccer game. Like total chaos can go off in crowds. Uh, police officers and law enforcement, crowd, they know. Crowds can be incredibly dangerous. There's a sense in a crowd that there's anonymity that you can kind of stay anonymous because you're just a crowd. So in a crowd, all of a sudden, somebody could just not like what you, there's, what's being said, pick up a rock, and then somebody says, well, who hit you? And they say, well, it came from the crowd. Uh, crowds can form riots. And when you looked on TV over the last few years, you saw crowds raiding cities and burning buildings. These are crowds. The superficial are on the road to Easter. Don't be a part of that crowd. And then there's worse, there's the schemers. Number five, the schemers. 
So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death. He's a walking testimony. Kill him. Too much trouble will come out of this. Kill him. Kill him and kill Jesus. Jerusalem's most wanted, Jesus and Lazarus. Both of them. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. A lot of people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They saw Lazarus. They knew he was dead. They could smell how bad he stank from outside of that tomb and said, that man is dead. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes forth and says, come out, Lazarus. Lazarus comes out. And people are like, I cannot believe this. And the chief priests make plans to kill him. Don't be fooled. There is schemers in our society today that absolutely want to stamp out and kill Christianity. There are a lot of people in this world, in the United States of America, unfortunately, that want to completely uh, eradicate any kind of biblical uh, Christian or Christian Judeo worldview. It happens here in our city. It happens here all across the country. I think most recently we, had a, we have a number of folks on, in our church that are part of Arizona Christian University. And uh, recently, if you saw the news, there was a school district that basically, I would say they were guilty of discrimination. They wanted to stop the contract to have any of those students uh, from Arizona Christian University come in as student teachers. They wanted to break the contract and made a decision to break that contract. And their response was, they are too biblically minded. They're Christians. Um, Christians are not popular in the long storyline of God's redemptive plan for history. The United States... uh, 240-something, 47, 46 years old. We're nearing that 250 mark. You know, I, I, I look at the storyline of Scripture, and, and it, there will be challenges for Christians, I think, far more than we've ever anticipated in the days ahead. I think Christians will still thrive. I think what will happen is the superficial crowd will be exposed, and they will run, and they will hide. And the stronger believers will rise up and say, I'll be faithful to Jesus till the end. Amen? And then there will be the schemers that set out to absolutely kill and destroy anything that is Christian. And you will be challenged as a believer whether you will stand strong and be faithful to share and to show the love of Christ no matter what. Five kinds of people on the road to Easter that we walked through this morning, the two that you want to emulate would be Martha and Mary. Be a servant. Serve. Do whatever it takes. Serve Jesus and serve his church. She goes down. Read the other gospel accounts in Matthew and Mark. She goes down. Wherever the good news is spread, uh, uh, Martha will be remembered and Mary will be remembered for what they did. Then you have Mary, the sacrificial giver. Some of you can't go on mission trips, but you can give financially. Some of you already gave to the Hope Offering in 2022. Your giving helped mobilize a team of missionaries and catalyze an entire movement of people down in Mexico to get excited where young teenagers are raising their hands and wanting to give sacrificially to support mission work. 
a 20-something-year-old girl says, I'll give $1,500. I pulled her aside later. I said, what do you do for work? She said, I'm an engineer. I said, glory to God. I said, why'd you give $1,500? And she said, uh, she said, because I can't go, but I want to help send. Uh, Gavin stood up in our first service, and he said, one thing I love about this church is that we're a sending church, not just a going church. We give financially so that we can help send. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the work you're doing in the lives of North Valley, every man and woman and child here. It is good, and we thank you for the good work that we've been able to be a part of. I pray, Father, for your grace and goodness over us. I pray that we would uh, be servants and sacrificial givers. Lord, help us to be weary and aware of the self-absorbed and uh, the schemers. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom uh, to move forward in our faith for serving you and serving the church. Uh, in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.